The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd like to continue. This will now be the third message, hopefully the last message uh, on following your heart. We'd like to go to Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 to introduce those thoughts again. Some of these beginning passages we've already considered, but I would like to refresh them again in your mind that as we hope to consider this evening that you need to discern the burdens and the feelings and the guidance of your heart through the right filter and through the right avenue, and that is primarily the Word of God and godly counsel through the Word of God, but our hearts can be very easily confused and very easily deceived. I mean, uh, God, we're going to see, guides us through the burdens and the thoughts of our mind and of our heart, but it's difficult to discern sometimes, is this God's voice or is this my voice? Is this the Lord guiding me or is this me just wanting to follow my own way? It says sometimes in the book of James, it says that sometimes you, uh, you have not because you ask not, but then sometimes you have not because you ask amiss to consume it upon your own lust. And it's very difficult to discern that sometimes. But unfortunately, the uh, culture that we're in in America gives license to just follow your heart blindly. And we know that uh, apart from a quickened, regenerated heart, there's nothing but wickedness that comes from our heart. And we just, we can't solely trust our heart. Uh, didn't jot this verse down, but we've mentioned it in prior messages that if you trust your heart, essentially, he that trusts his own heart is a fool. Don't trust your own heart solely. So, <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, keep or guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. I mean, every decision we make, every external action, every major life decision that we make, it all starts in our mind. It starts with a thought. It starts in our heart. Keep the heart. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Proverbs chapter 16 and in verse 1. The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. God guides the plans and the directions of our heart. Verse 9. A man's heart deviseth his way but the Lord directs his steps. So we can make a decision and believe that this is the right course of action, but we can be wrong. We've considered uh, the Apostle Paul, particularly there in Acts chapter 16, that he thought he needed to go into Asia, but it turned out that wasn't the Lord's will. He thought he needed to go into Bithynia. It turned out that wasn't the Lord's will. But the Lord was actually guiding him the whole time, and the Lord finally opened a door at Macedonia for him to go into Philippi and minister to the people in that area. So we'd like to go to Isaiah chapter 30, and verse 21. 
like to begin reading in verse 18 to get a little bit of the more broader context here. Isaiah chapter 30 and in verse 18. Therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. Therefore will he be exalted that they may that he may have mercy upon you for the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are they, all they that wait for him. Sometimes it's very difficult to wait on the Lord's will, to wait on the right door to be opened at the right time. He gives some, some very well-known encouragement uh, in Isaiah chapter 40, toward the end of that chapter. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. So sometimes we view waiting as a bad thing, but actually it says here, therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. You know, isn't it good to be reminded that sometimes when the Lord makes us wait, there's grace at the end of the rainbow, right? There's <laughs> not a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. There's grace waiting there at the end of the rainbow. Verse 19, for the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. They shall weep no more. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, he shall, he will answer thee. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity, you know, sometimes we have some challenges in the midst of waiting, right? God may give you the bread of adversity, the water of affliction. Yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner anymore, but thine eyes shall see thy teachers. And then in verse 21. Now, remember, this is occurring. Verse 21 is occurring when the child of God is waiting on the Lord, waiting on his grace, waiting in faith. And he's in the right place, too. The people shall dwell in Zion. You're in the right location, listening to the right people. And then, even when you're doing that, there very likely will be adversity and affliction. If you eat the bread of adversity and the water, drink the water of affliction. In walking in that way, when you're following, hopefully, the will of God and you're walking in that way, even when there are challenges and adversity and affliction, when you're doing that, and thy ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it, when ye turn to the right hand, and when you turn to the left. This is the way, walk you in it. It says there that you will hear, you will hear a voice behind you. So... You're not seeing someone talking directly in front of you. You just hear a voice behind you. So you're not walking by sight at that point. You're still walking by faith, right? You're walking by faith because you can't see the person that's speaking to you. And that's why you really have to discern, is this truly the Lord or is this, or is this me? Why? Because you're not seeing it uh, verbalized in front of you. You will hear a voice behind you. And that's, if we're walking with the Lord and we're praying for uh, the leadership of the Lord in the manner that we ought to, we're living godly, we're living faithfully, we're praying according to the model prayer that thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. When we're walking that way, the Lord will guide us with what we're going to find here in 1 Kings chapter 19 as a still small voice okay a still small voice and that's the voice behind you and what does that voice behind you tell you to do it tells you go to the right go to the left or more appropriately many times don't go to the right 
or don't go to the left. I mean, think about the, uh, the Israelites in the Old Testament. How did they know, which is very interesting, that <laughs> uh, the Lord um, certainly has a sense of humor. We see that in many places in Scripture, and uh, uh, I, I think maybe the Lord is showing some of that humor with the Israelites. When you actually map out uh, their journeyings over a 40-year period, they just kind of kept going in circles, and there were many times where they were just maybe about a day's journey away from the land of promise. But what's interesting is they weren't just randomly wandering for 40 years. Did you know that? No, that's right. They were following the cloud. <laughs> they followed the cloud during the day and the fire at night. So it's kind of interesting that you look at that and they're like, man, these guys did not have any GPS navigation. Can't believe that they were that close to the promised land. They just kind of wandered around in circles for 40 years. Well, guess who was leading them in circles? <laughs> The Lord was. <laughs> the Lord was. But what was interesting about that is they made a point, and I, I love the uh, the commitment of Moses when he was leading the people of Israel that we will not go anywhere as long as that cloud is still residing over the tabernacle. Now, when that when that cloud departs, it doesn't matter when it happens. It doesn't matter if it's in the middle of the night. It doesn't matter if it's on. The Lord wouldn't have done it on a Sabbath day, but. But at a very inconvenient time. Sometimes that cloud will move at a very inconvenient time. Yeah. And as soon as that cloud moved, it doesn't matter. We pack up and we're following the cloud. So they, they trusted the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And there in that day, the leadership of the Holy Spirit was with a cloud by day and a cloud of fire by night. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we find Elijah here who is just in the aftermath of calling down fire from heaven, Jezebel threatens him, he gets discouraged, gets depressed, runs, runs away, and then uh, posts up to pout and asks the Lord to take his life. And in the midst of this depressed, possibly even suicidal state, the Lord speaks to Elijah to encourage him. And so many people when they're seeking the Lord's will, they say, Lord, give me a sign. Lord, give me a sign. Well, Jesus said in the New Testament that an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Okay? We're not called to walk by signs. Amen. We're called to walk by faith. Amen. Say that again. We're not called to walk by signs. We're called to walk by faith. And this example is what most of Christianity, when they're looking for a sign, they want something very out of the ordinary. And I'm not to say that the Lord can never use that. Okay? Because I believe particularly in unevangelized countries, there are many great stories of people, particularly of the Muslim faith, that didn't have a knowledge of Jesus and the Lord deals with them in a more manifest, direct way, more of an Old Testament way, if you will, than He does with us that have more knowledge. So it's not to say that the Lord can't, but His primary means of guiding His people is not for you to wait there and say, I'm not going to do anything until the Lord gives me a sign. Now, what would you think that sign would look like? Well, many people would think it might look kind of like this. <clears throat> Verse 11 of 1 Kings chapter 19. 
go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Now that's kind of interesting, isn't it? You know, we see some very calamitous type events happening in the first chapter of Job when his, uh, when his property is being destroyed. And you can make a strong case that it was pretty much a tornado, that a strong wind that collapsed the house there, that his ten kids died. You know, the Lord is not, this is why we have to uh, discern not, not just the, the, uh, the leadership of our own, own hearts, but this is why signs can be very deceptive. It's because guess what? Satan may be in that sign. The, the Lord was not in this wind. The Lord was not in those calamity, calamitous events that happened in Job chapter 1. That was Satan. That was Satan. So the Lord was not in the wind. And then there was an earthquake. But the Lord was also not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. So you have three signs. You have a wind. And then an earthquake. And then a fire. But that's what something out of the ordinary. So something that is, that is a burning bush moment. I hope you understand that the Lord does not direct his people the way he directed Moses at the burning bush. You know, we're not, we should not be expecting uh, that, that booming, deep uh, voice from heaven of the, the Charlton Heston Ten Commandments movie when the Lord speaks to him out of the burning bush. That's not how the Lord directs his people today. I've never heard the audible voice of God. And I'm going to make a strong case that you probably haven't either. Uh, there, there may have been a couple people that have that testimony. But I would say the majority of God's people have never heard the audible voice of God. And I can say definitively, and I hope that you've been in tune enough with the Holy Spirit to say, that there are times in my life that I have felt the Lord speak to me. I have felt the Lord guide me in my heart. I have felt Him speak to me. But it wasn't at a, looking at a burning bush, hearing a deep, booming voice from heaven. It was in a still, small voice. It was a voice behind you, guiding you and directing you that you really don't even understand. I mean, think about, uh, again, the Lord dealt with Old Testament people in, in a much different way because the full canon of Scripture had not, been, uh, had, had not been fully brought together and canonized, and God had not directed the New Testament ministry in the way that he has in the church. There are many people that were without that in the Old Testament, so God spoke to people directly, okay? So the, the Old Testament is a much different time period than we have here in the New Testament. But he speaks in a still, small voice. That word still means without movement. And, and you understand, right, that... The reason that voice comes out of our mouth is because there is vibration in our vocal cords. So if something is still, then someone's not audibly speaking with vibration in their vocal cords, is it? And it's also not loud and blaring, <laughs> right? No. How was the uh, how, how was the Holy Spirit manifested uh, when when Jesus was baptized? It wasn't a loud squawking crow 
No, it was a gentle, quiet dove, right, that lighted upon Jesus Christ. So God speaks to his people in a still, small voice. And then he goes on to encourage here in 1 Kings 19 to encourage Elijah to know that you still have much more work to do. you got a king to anoint, and you, I'm going to give you a, uh, a helper. I'm going to give you Elisha to share the yoke with you. But how, and I'll tell you, this is so important that we understand the way that Lord, the, the way the Lord speaks to his people is because when Elijah was in this state, understand he was in a depressed and a suicidal state. And people can get very confused when they are that emotionally sensitive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. At that moment, you have to discern the burdens of your heart even more closely. Okay. Um, let's go to um, let's go to First John chapter four first. First John chapter four, verse one. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. Now, the immediate context right here is that when preachers come to you, there was an abundance. Uh, just, just as the kingdom of God was expanding into all nations and the kingdom of God was being manifest in a very special way, Satan was galvanizing all of his forces, too, to try to detract the spread and the growth of the kingdom of God. And it says, I believe this is 2 Corinthians 11, that, that Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. And he can beguile God's people. You know, Satan doesn't always use total pagan false religion. Right. right. How, uh, how, what was, was Paul warning against there? That they would be beguiled uh, with the uh, deception of Satan. And they would be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. If any man comes preaching another Jesus right. or another gospel. Satan doesn't always use false pagan religion. He uses a corrupted version of God's word. That's what he did in the garden, right? He corrupted God's word. He just tweaked it a little bit. And Satan was really galvanizing his forces here in the first century to send out and that the context there in 2 Corinthians 11 is there were false prophets, but there were false apostles. People were, that were claiming to be rightful apostles, and there was a lot of authority that was given to apostles. And that's why part of the reason why the Lord gave this miraculous manifestation of these spiritual gifts, because Paul said, look, I have done the works of an apostle. There was something in that day that, that you could have a test to say, is this, is this person authentic or not? And that was one of the ways that they would try them. But he says here, though, uh, in regards to the preaching and in regards to the gospel, the way that you test a spirit, the way that you test a prophet is by the content of what he's delivering. And here in this context, it says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth 
that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, even now already is it in this world. And I'll tell you, there's some people that claim to be Christians that deny the eternal divinity of the Son of God. And I want to tell you, that comes straight from Satan and the spirit of Antichrist. And there are children of God that need to be saved from that. People in the Mormon church, people in other church, they need to be saved from that corrupted another Jesus. Because he is the eternal son of God. And that is the litmus test right there that he says, look, if you said he was combating the Gnostics, the Gnostic gospel that said that, that Jesus, all matter is bad. And there's no way that, that he could be a, a true divine being and be, and be a human. Therefore, also along with that, denying the eternal divinity of the son of God. And he said, look, if, if anyone shows up saying that Jesus Christ is not the eternal Son of God, that, he, that the Son of God uh, was not incarnated and become a man, then you can know right off the bat that that is a false prophet. Amen. Okay? So what is the litmus test? What is the litmus test for truth of the gospel here in the New Testament church? It is the authority of the Word of God. Okay? And he says here, Try the spirits whether they are of God. And I would use the same language to say, try your heart. Try your heart. Test it to see if it's of God. And what's the standard for that? What's the standard for testing and trying your heart? It's the Word of God. It's the Scriptures. Your heart. You know, these people that say that the Lord led me to live with someone before marriage. The, word, the Lord led me to this, this sodomite lifestyle. The Lord led me to all these things that are in contradiction to God's Word. Listen, God and the Holy Spirit will never direct any of His children in a way that is any other than in direct accordance with the divinely inspired and preserved Word of God. So if you see something, it's kind of like, I feel like, I feel a strong burden that the Lord is guiding my heart to marry this person, but they don't believe in God. Well, that is not the Holy Spirit that's guiding you to do that. Because the Holy Spirit says clearly to not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So when you, when you say that my heart is guiding me to something that's contrary to God's word, the short answer is, that is your heart guiding you. That's not the Lord. That's not the Holy Spirit. So when you test it, when you test it by God's Word, and you find that you have burdens that are contradictory to God's Word, then you can know that that's me. That's my heart. That, that's me asking and, and, and pursuing this pathway to consume it upon my own lust. Okay? So the Word of God is the standard by which we test and try the burdens of our heart. And the Holy Spirit will, and the Lord will never guide your heart in a way that is contradictory to God's Word. Okay? And there's multitudes of examples that could be given that people in this culture today that want to say that the Lord guided me to do this, the Lord burdened me to do this, that is in direct contradiction to the clear teaching of the Word of God and they're just trying to make themselves feel better for living in sin, okay? So the Word of God is the litmus test 
by which we test and we try our hearts. Because uh, the, the Lord the Lord guides us in our heart. Oh, that, that, that's the point I want you to understand. It's not that you can't trust your heart because the Lord does guide you in your heart. You just have to filter it through the right means, through the, light, through the right lens, okay? That's why it's so important. Matthew chapter 5 and in verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's why we need to pray. Psalm 51.10, Lord, create in me a clean heart, right? Lord, give me that clean, pure heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Psalm 19.14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's so important that if the Word of God in Scripture is the standard by which we have to filter uh, the burdens of our heart, then we need to know God's Word, don't we? Amen. We need to know what the Scriptures say. Because just as uh, Satan tempted Jesus after he'd been without food for 40 days and 40 nights, he didn't tempt Jesus right after he had a great feast with the feeding of the five thousand. He tempted Jesus with food after he hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights in his weakest moment. And Satan is going to try to deceive your heart in your weakest moment. That's why we have to be so steeped in the Word of God. is because you have to know the Word of God so well that in those most susceptible moments, and Satan's tempting you to do something, that, that the Holy Spirit can bring back to your mind the right scripture at the right time to tell you this is not something I need to be engaging in. And if you engage in God's word and you memorize scripture, you will be amazed at the timing of which the Holy Spirit will bring the right. I, you know, there's some verses that I, I, I tried to study them. I thought I'd memorize them and I really didn't even think I had them. And then all of a sudden it came back in perfect clarity at the exact right moment when I couldn't even, if you even asked me right now what that verse was. I couldn't say it just right. But then all of a sudden it came back to my mind in perfect clarity in the exact right moment. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and you have, But you have to know God's word for the Holy Spirit to do that. All right? God's not going to bring something. You know, it's like, I didn't study for this test at all, this history test. Lord, please, please by the guidance of your Holy Spirit, please bring back to my mind, or not bring back, just bring to my mind, these answers so I can make an A on the test. Well, that's tempting the Lord. That's dishonoring the Lord. But what will he do? Boy, if you study hard, the Lord will bless you to bring it back to your mind, exact right time, so you can do what you need to do, okay? Psalm 37, verse 31. The law of his God is in his heart, and none of his steps shall slide. See, that's why you need to hide the Word of God in your heart because the, the Word of God needs to be in there to be able to filter your decisions through. And, and then Psalm 119 and verse 11 makes it even more clear. Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Okay? In Macedonia, we've been trying to provide a monthly memory verse for, I don't know, a year, year and a half now. 
But if that is all, even if, if our folks at Macedonia, and I hope that you're engaging in that, reading that, and trying to memorize that, but if you're only learning 12 verses a year, okay, you're not uh, invested in the Word of God enough. You don't know the Word of God enough. That, that's to try to spur you to, uh, to learn Scripture on your own. And these are verses you no doubt need to know. But you need to be learning these Scriptures on your own because if you hide the Word in your heart, that I might not sin against thee. It says there in Psalm chapter 1 that blessed is the man that doesn't uh, walk in the way of sinners and all, and all of that. Well, if you hide the Word of God in your heart, and like I said, bringing the right verse to your mind at the right time, then when you are beginning to stray and go into that setting that you shouldn't be in, you'll be surprised the verses that come to your mind. Okay? When you're walking in a path of temptation where you can make some very life-altering, severe mistakes. But again, the Holy Spirit is only going to bring that back to your mind if you know it. Alright? If you know the Word of God. So, Make a commitment to hide the Word of God in your heart. Um, I want to go to Genesis 24 real quick. I'm, I'm not going to have time to hit this the way that I would like to. Um, Genesis 24, we have this account here where Abraham uh, sends his servant to go and find a wife for Isaac. And he says here in Genesis chapter 24 and in verse 27... After the guidance by, by the Lord's providence of, of Rebecca doing all the things that he prayed for, and he sees that the Lord is in it. He sees the Lord has been guiding him the whole time, and he sees it being manifested in a special way. Genesis 24 and verse 27. Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and truth. And this, this is the phrase that I want you to, to, to get and to... Underline, I being in the way, the Lord led me. I being in the way, the Lord led me. Now, what are the characteristics of the way that this servant of Abraham was in? Well, first of all, it was the way of prayer. Yeah. Genesis 24, verse 12. He says, uh, the, the servant is praying this. Oh, uh, Lord God uh, of my master Abraham, I pray thee send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here. And he goes on to give some very specific prayers that, that exactly what Rebecca would do when, we, when she showed up. And then it says in verse 15, and it came to pass before he had done speaking. That, that is some effectual and fervent prayer like right there. Which, by the way, by the way, he prayed right there for the special blessing. But I don't believe that he didn't pray one single. There's no telling how long he had to travel to go from where Abraham was back to the uh, his old family or Sarah's family. Uh, he had been praying for weeks. But then he has this special prayer when he gets to the right place at the right time. And isn't it special that the Lord answers the prayer while he's praying that, that, that's the kind of things that give you some special confirmation, right? Now, Lord, now don't, don't get the wrong impression. The Lord doesn't always work that way. <laughs> he rarely does. He rarely does. But he was in the way of prayer. He was also in the way of faith. You see there from his language that he was expecting the Lord to bless. He was expecting the Lord 
to guide his pathway in the way of prayer, in the way of faith. He was in the way of obedience to his, to his uh, master Abraham. He did exactly what he was told to do. And he was committed all in uh, to obey and, to, uh, and to, honor, to honor his master. Also, enthusiasm. It says that uh, when he realized what was happening, verse 17, the servant ran to meet her and said, let me, I pray, they drink a little water. And then we find when the Lord's again, you know, when you, when you start, <laughs> you ought to, uh, when you start seeing the providence of God unfold, you ought to get excited. And, and, he, and he got really excited and, and exhibited that enthusiasm. And also it's very important that he was, he was, he was praying. He had confidence that the Lord would bless and he was being zealous, ask, seek, and knock. There's some, there's some things we need to do other than just pray. Go seek and knock in addition to that. But also, he was seeking God's will in the right place. He said, look, servant, you do not take a shortcut. You do not go to the, the families of these Canaanites that are wicked. No, you, get, you take the long route and you go back to our family. He was seeking God's will in the right place. And that's important when the Lord's guiding you, okay? He wasn't trying to find just the very first person that shows up. No, he knew he needed to be in the right place. Certainly we need to be in the church. And then by the end of it, he had an expectation that the Lord would bless, walking in faith, walking in prayer. Um, and then he goes out of his way to fall on his face and praise and glorify God for answered prayer. Okay? I being in the way the Lord led me. Okay, a few more things. How do we test God's Word? How do we test, uh, how do we test our hearts by God's Word? One of the most important things that you can have in your close group of fellowship, of friends and family, is wise, godly, friends and counselors, not just that'll tell you what you want to hear, but that will challenge you when necessary, but what's the standard for trying your heart? God's Word. So they're going to counsel you in God's Word, right? I think a lot about Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and uh, the way this reads, you would think he's a 16-year-old teenager, but he's a 40-year-old grown man. And, and he goes and he, he ignores these wise, uh, esteemed, godly counselors of his father Solomon. And instead, he just asks the opinion of all these young boys that he used to run with. And then he ends up dividing the whole kingdom. It's horrible decisions. So it's not just about having counsel. Everybody's got people to ask when they make decisions. Everybody's got counselors. Everyone has friends that they ask. But the question is, what is the quality of those counselors? And they need to be steeped in God's Word. Proverbs chapter 13 and in verse 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but the companion of fools shall be destroyed. Proverbs 24 and verse 6. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Okay? There's some people that we trust, and we ask them, and we, their word's as good as gold, and we trust them. But don't always, especially for major, important life decisions. We're not talking about, you know, do you want 
the name brand or the generic at Walmart. I mean, you can make those decisions with asking one person. There's things in life, right, that you can make decisions on your own. But when you're talking about major life decisions, you don't need to just ask one person. Amen. You need to have a multitude of counselors that are steeped in God's Word. And if they all encourage you and give you their blessing and guide you in God's Word to where you have confirmation that that's the right thing, then that is a great confirmation and guidance from the Lord that that is the right thing to do. Now, the other side of that is true as well, though. If you counsel three to four or more of wise, godly people that are steeped in God's Word, that are giving you advice based on God's Word, and they're all telling you not to follow this course of action, then you need to trust that even more. Because there's a lot of young people that can be so enamored, particularly with young love. Oh, I love him. I love him. He loves me. They're an unbeliever. It doesn't matter. It's just that simple. And when you have three or four people that tells you, no, this is what the Word of God says, you need to listen to that counsel. This is not just good practical advice. You are going to have problems in your marriage if you marry an unbeliever, okay? And if there are, and, and that's, that's an easy example, but there's so many other examples that when people who know God's Word say, don't do this because this is what, the, what God's Word says, listen to that godly counsel because there is safety in that, okay? There is safety in that wise, godly counsel. Let's go to James. If uh, we all need wisdom, you know, the, the Bible doesn't, uh, the Bible does not tell us every one, two, three, four decisions to make at every single step of the road because all of us have different lives to lead. We all have different paths that God guides us in. This is speaking of the ministry, but he says, look, uh, you serve in the measure that you've been called to. And that's certainly true in the ministry, but there's a large sense in which that's true of all of us. Serve in the measure that you've been called to, but that measure is different for all of us. Okay? That's why he says there in that context, they judging themselves by themselves are not wise. Don't judge yourself by someone else's metric. That's what Peter did. You know, uh, Jesus said to Peter, okay, you're going to give my life for me. You're gonna, there's going to come a time where you're not going to, uh, you gird yourself now, but somebody else is going to gird you. And, you know, Peter gets nervous and scared like he always does and says things he shouldn't say. And then, uh, and then he says of John, uh, asking Jesus of John, well, what about him? He said, look, it doesn't matter about him. What is that? To if he tarries till I come, what does that have to do with you? The answer is nothing. <laughs> nothing. We all have different paths to lead. So therefore, God gives us a broad set of principles. But then it takes godly wisdom to apply those principles. I mean, you know, saying don't marry an unbeliever is easy. That's easy because it's so clear. But the question is, among the believers, who do you marry? <laughs> I mean, that, that's the question, right? So God gives you this, this, this set of principles. But then it's up to us to apply those principles with godly wisdom to make the right decisions and following God's will. And that's hard. That's hard. The only way we can do that is by wisdom. Well, the good thing is God is generous and liberal with his wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, man, I don't really know what to do. If any of you lack wisdom, 
Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. Now, when we pray, we pray, Lord, nevertheless not my will, but thine be done. You know, not everything we ask for is going to be given to us. But just like he says in the Gospels, if you ask for my Holy Spirit, I'm always going to give you my Holy Spirit. Yeah. If God asks, if you ask God for wisdom with a, with a sincere heart, God's always going to give you wisdom. Yeah. Okay. It's always His will for you to have more wisdom. Now we have this description of godly wisdom at the conclusion of James chapter 3. James chapter 3 and verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if any of you have bitter envying and strife in your heart, right? It's a problem in the heart. Glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. Notice that word sensual there. What is the characteristics of this world? The lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Lust leads you to those sensual decisions. And what's going to be the effect of that? You may not be able to see it in the moment. But there are many people who unfortunately have lived this out in their life. They make the, the sensual decision in the moment. And what comes? Verse, 13, verse 16. Envying, strife, confusion, and every evil word. That's the end result. Okay? Verse 17. Now that's contrasted. That's the wisdom. And I want you to understand, this is called wisdom. <laughs> the world will call it wisdom. Just like the world calls the baloney of Darwinism science. Science, falsely so-called, right? This is wisdom, falsely so-called. This is the wisdom of the world. But what's the wisdom of God? The wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is pure and peaceable and gentle. How does the Lord speak to you? In a still, small voice. Do you, do you notice how calming and, and soft and reassuring all these words are? Peaceable and gentle and easy to be entreated. Full of mercy and good fruits without partiality without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now, what's going to be the end result of following God's will and Him guiding your heart when you're really walking in the way? The effect will be an internal peace that passes all understanding and an internal solitude. Now, when I say peace, we got to make sure we put this in the right perspective. Uh, just because we say peace doesn't mean that there's not going to be external conflict, okay? You know, you can be walking in God's will. You can have a family member that's totally opposed to you joining the Primitive Baptist Church. And you may have some conflict with them, but you're walking with internal peace because now you have the answer of a good conscience before God, okay? So when we say peace, that doesn't mean that there's not any conflict. That means that in your heart of hearts, you are at rest and at peace that you're walking with the Lord. That the Lord's guiding you in this way. And the end result of the Lord's will will never be envying and strife and confusion. The guidance of the Lord's will, the Lord's guidance of your heart, the end result of that is always going to be peace. Because that's a fruit of the Spirit, right? Think about that. It's a fruit of the Spirit. 
So if you're experiencing peace, what's that evidence of? That the Spirit's there. We're not talking about the new birth here. We're talking about a life of discipleship. If you don't feel peace, what's that a good indication of? The Spirit's not being manifest in your life as abundantly as it should. Especially if there's envy, strife, and hypocrisy. What is that an indication of? You may have been deceived to follow the wisdom of the world. Okay? So we have to discern God's, uh, discern our hearts through the standard of God's Word, through the, the counsel of good, godly uh, people that are also knowledgeable and steeped in God's Word. And then at the end of the day, just pray, Lord, please give me wisdom. Lord, please give me wisdom to make good, godly decisions and to not make shipwreck of my life. And if you think that you can't, then you are way better than the Apostle Paul. And I understand the Apostle Paul was the chief of sinners. Or the Holy Spirit affirmed him to be. Uh, but if we thought that anyone would have this life of discipleship licked and figured out, we would think it would be the Apostle Paul. And he's the same guy that said, let him that thinks he standeth take he lest he fall, and I keep my body under subjection lest I myself should also become a castaway. Okay? So we need that guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis to guide our heart, guide us in God's will. And we certainly need to pray the prayer that we find in the Psalms. Lord, teach me thy will. Guide me. Guide me in your will. Lord, guide my heart according to your will. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.